Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, well, hey, speaking of promises, I am excited to uh, get to speak to you on this first Sunday of the year and share what will become the 2023 theme of the Father's House. Uh, if you are a part of our community here, you know that every single year we have a new theme. Our team takes some time at the conclusion of each year, and, and we pray and ask God for his heart and vision for the following year. Uh, and usually that vision translates into a scripture and a statement that becomes kind of our our guiding force, our true north for all of our decisions and all of our prayers in that year. A few years ago, as we were coming back from COVID, uh, it was Dare to Hope out of Lamentations chapter three. Uh, Last year, we spent 24 weeks, sorry about that, talking about by faith, which came from Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, And as our team prayed and considered what God would do in this community in 2023, there were two words that we just could not shake, two words we couldn't get away from. They just kept bubbling up in my spirit every single time we prayed. And those two words are going to be our theme for 2023. So this year, the theme of the Father's house is this. It is every promise. Every, come on, can we say that together? Every promise. You're gonna hear us talk a lot about that this year. There's probably gonna be merchandise that comes out with that printed on it and songs and all the things that we do. Uh, but that phrase, it comes from a very short but powerful scripture in the book of 2 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul says this in chapter one, verse 20. He says, for every promise of God in Christ is yes. And through Christ, our amen ascends to God for his glory. Since it's gonna be our theme verse, let's just go ahead and read it out together, shall we? For every promise of God in Christ is yes. And through Christ, our amen ascends to God for his glory. If you prefer it in a more concise form, you can borrow it from the songwriter Chandler Moore of Maverick City where he said, all your promises are yes and amen. Okay, now you know where the lyric came from. You're welcome. Uh, So what the Apostle Paul is telling us here in this very short but very powerful scripture is that God has made some promises to us. How many believe that this morning? God has made some promises to us. But all of the promises that God has made are not only fulfilled in Jesus, but they are inherited by his followers. They're fulfilled in Christ, but they're made available to all of us. And the way that we inherit, he says, these promises is by adding our amen to them. He says, our amen ascends to the Father for his glory. That word amen, I think I've mentioned this before, but uh, it, it defined means so be it unto me. In other words, anytime you hear a promise from God or you read a promise from God in scripture, there should be something inside of us that calls out from the depth of our gut, amen, so be that promise unto my life. I'm laying a hold of it with confession of faith. In fact, let's go ahead and practice that this morning. So when you hear in the scriptures that God is with you, he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, no matter what pit you find yourself in, God is right there with you. Come on, then you add your... Okay, it's a solid eight. Let's see if we can do a little bit better. Uh, When you hear in John chapter 14 that God is gonna give you a peace that surpasses understanding and that regardless of the chaotic circumstance you may find yourself in, there is a sustaining peace that will carry you through the midst of that. You add your, 
Come on, when you find out that you are blessed and not cursed, that you are forgiven and not judged, that you are provided for, that he's promised healing and grace and strength in times of weakness, then the church cries out from the depths of who they are. There it is. Come on, amen to the glory of God the Father. That's how we lay hold of God's promises. As we read through them, we recognize these are not just made to a group of dead people in Scripture, but they are ours in Christ. And that's important to remember because God has made a significant number of promises to us. In fact, there, there's a, a teacher in, in, in Canada. His name is Everett Storms. And he took upon himself the arduous task of going through the scriptures over the course of a year and a half and detailing every single promise written in the Bible. And at the conclusion of his study, he came up with 8,810 promises that God has made. In fact, after he removed all the promises that God made to specific people groups and specific nations, and he only left the list of promises that are universal, made to all believers, he came up with a list of 7,487 universal promises. So for the next 7,487 weekends, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a lot of promises. You thought By Faith was a long series, okay? I'll be here till I retire. That's a lot of promises. But how many know that's not just all that God has promised to us? Because it isn't just what he's written in scripture. There's promises that God has made to us uniquely, specifically, individually. There's things that God has promised to you in prayer. There's things that God has promised to you by way of prophetic word. Maybe he's promised you healing from a sickness or healing from a mindset. or Maybe he's promised to restore a relationship or a marriage. He's made some promises to you personally because he loves you personally. He's made some promises to us as a community, as a church. One of the promises God's made to us is that we will inherit some land, that we will have a permanent facility that we get to call home. I believe we're sitting in it right now, that there will be a day where we do not have to set up and tear down this building any longer. It'll say the Father's house on the front of the building. We'll all grab some paint rollers and we'll begin to roll over all the guys on these walls. That's a promise made to us. I had someone say to me at the end of last year, they're like, hey, if we buy this place, um, are we gonna leave any of the guys on the walls? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. He's like, what if we just left one and put your name under it? I'm like, then we would be a cult, sir. No, we are not doing that. But, but God's made some promises to you and to me and to this community of people, a significant number of them. And here's what I believe, and I hate being a hype master or dangling a carrot, but I believe this with every fiber of my being. As we walk into 2023, I believe we are walking into a year where we're going to see some promises fulfilled. I believe we're gonna to begin to see prayers that we've prayed for decades be answered. Prophetic words that were given to you a long time ago come to pass, where hopes are going to materialize into realities and we're gonna pick up our heads at the end of this year in 12 months and go look at all the promises that God fulfilled in 2023. Come on, do you believe that with a little bit of faith this morning? I believe it. Hence the theme, every promise. This year we're going to be a community that contends for everything that God has made available to us. But as we step out into this promise pursuit, there's a principle that we need to be aware of. A principle that if believers forget can lead to long periods of time of frustration while we're wondering why it seems like God is not answering the promises that 
he's made to us. And on this inaugural week of the year, I wanna spend the entirety of our time together discussing this principle. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can, you can write this down. Here it is. When it comes to promises, we need to understand that every promise has a prerequisite. Every promise has a prerequisite. In other words, when God makes a promise to us, there is generally a contingency involved. There's an aspect of human responsibility. In business terms, we would call it a bilateral contract. Both parties are only bound to their side of the contract, provided the other party performs. They do what they said they were going to do. Uh, in parenting, we call it negotiation. You want ice cream? You want me to buy that thing for you? There's some chores you're gonna have to do. In marriage, we call it leverage. I'll just leave that one there, okay? Just leave it, okay. But when it comes to God, every promise has a prerequisite, a condition. And that is why as you read through the scriptures, you will often find the promises of God follow a literary pattern that looks something like this. If you, then God. If you do this, then God will do this. Malachi 3. If you tithe, if you give the first tenth of your increase to God, then God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you will not be able to contain it. Second Chronicles verse 7. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will come and I will heal their land. Psalm 91, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you run to him and not to people and not to coping mechanisms, but if you make him your refuge, then he will protect you in the times of evil. Are you seeing the pattern? Even, even salvation has this built into it. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then salvation comes to you. God will save you. Time and time again, we see this pattern in scripture. If you, then God. And the reason it is so important we understand this principle is because there are a lot of Christians running around clinging to promises that will never come to pass in their life because they are not fulfilling their side of the bargain. They're cashing, or writing checks on God's promises that they cannot cash with their lifestyle. And so if we are going to be people that lay hold of every promise that God has for us, we need to understand our responsibility in the process. We need to know what is expected of us. And today, what I'd like to do for our remaining moments together is I wanna look at what I would consider to be one of the greatest fulfilled promises in all of scripture to consider some of those responsibilities. That is the, the, the promised land that the people of Israel stepped into. Uh, the story is found in, in the book of Joshua, chapter 3. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can go there now. If not, it's, it'll be up on the screen. But as we go to the text, let, let me provide a little bit of backstory because I know that not everyone in the room might be familiar with this story. Uh, if you rewind all the way back to the beginning of the book of Exodus, you find out that the people of God have been in slavery for a period of 400 years to the Egyptians. And through a series of supernatural events, God uses Moses to deliver the people of Israel from Egypt and bring them over the Red Sea to the wilderness where they're gonna sojourn on to the promised land. And in Exodus chapter 19, God comes to the people and he makes them a promise. And in consistent, consistently with the, the theme that we're discussing today, that promise has a contingency. 
He says, if you follow me, if you obey my commands, if you do what I've asked of you and you trust me, then I will bring you into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. You will no longer be slaves. You will be provided for. All of your needs will be met. I will be your God and you will be my people. But the people of God, they fail to add their amen to this promise. And time and time again, they doubt God in the wilderness and they complain. And eventually God comes and he says, you have not fulfilled your end of the bargain. And so I am not obligated to fulfill my side of the contract. You and all of your family members, you're gonna die off in the desert and I will reserve this promise for the next generation of Israelites. And so for 40 years, this group of people, because of their disobedience and their lack of faith, dies off in the desert until a new generation arises and we pick up in the book of Joshua with the people of Israel camp, camped out on the east side of the Jordan River. <laughs> Sorry, a little gangster right at the east side. Uh, <laughs> of the Jordan River. And God comes to them and he says, it's now time to step into this promise. But as it was for the first group, so it is for you. There are some contingencies. There's some prerequisites you need to be aware of. And today I want to look at three of those prerequisites that God speaks to the people. The first of them is found in the opening verse of chapter three in Joshua, where it says, early the next morning, Joshua and all of the Israelites left Shittim and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River. Uh, the first contingency, and I apologize if this is offensive, but I'm taking it right out of the Bible here. You got to get out of Shittim. Come on, turn to somebody next to you. Try not to cuss. Tell them you got to get out of Shatim. Make sure you say it with an accent, Shatim. Not Shatim, it's Shatim, all right? Just to be clear, Shatim. You got to get out of Shatim. The first contingency for the people of God was you have to leave where you are so that you can go to where God is calling you. The first thing we must be aware of when it comes to laying hold of God's promises is we cannot stay where we are. It's going to require leaving where we are so that we can walk into what he has for us. And where they had to leave is significant. This space called Shatim, it carries with it some spiritual significance. If you go all the way back to the book of Numbers, chapter 25, you'll find that it is in Shittim where the people of God, the men specifically, begin to sin against the Lord by sleeping with the foreign Moabite women. God came to them and he said, do not intermingle, do not intermarry with the foreign nations, for if you fall in love with the women, you'll fall in love with their gods, and before you know it, you'll end up worshiping their pagan idols. But the people of God ignored this word and the men began to sleep with the foreign women. And as a result, what God said came to pass. They began to worship the pagan gods of the Moabites. And God's angry and when he's angry, he does the same thing. He comes to the pastor and starts talking to the pastor. He says, Moses, what the heck is going on with your people? They're, they're not doing what I told them to do. And literally in the middle of this conversation, some Jewish dude walks by Moses with some hot Moabite chica on his arm, going into his tent, Ready to make love. And God's like, oh, no, 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 no. He gets ticked. He sends a plague and 25,000 Israelite people die on this day in Shittim. So, so Shittim is not some innocuous location that the Israelites are waiting in until they step into the promised land. No, this is a place 
that stirs up all of the failures of the past. It's a place where the memories of what they did begin to haunt them all over again. It's a place of shame and guilt and regret. To, to camp in Shatim is to live in the failures of your past. But not only does the mental landscape bear significance, the physical landscape of this place also carries with it some significance. If you were to look at the definition of this Hebrew word, shatim, in English, it means acacia grove. In fact, depending on your Bible translation, that might be how it reads. In the New Living, it says they left acacia grove. But although it is defined as acacia grove, it was commonly referred to in biblical times as valley of thorns. And, and the reason it was called the Valley of Thorns was because of the acacia trees that lined the valley. In fact, I have a couple of photos for you just to, to see what these trees look like. But, but you can see that, that this, this was no normal, enjoyable, pleasant tree. I, th this is a painful space. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can't imagine what it would feel like to try to walk through a grove of trees like this. I imagine it would be a painful process as you're poked and prodded and pierced. Furthermore, I would imagine that it's pretty easy to get stuck in a place like that. As those thorns try to catch onto your clothing in your tents and almost like a prison cell that wants to keep you hemmed in. Put it all together, what do you got? You got a group of people camped out in a place that they can't seem to leave, a place of pain that does nothing but remind them of the failures of their past. That's Shatim. It's that mental space that stirs up feelings of regret and shame when you think about that person or that situation. It's that mental quicksand that keeps you from believing that there's anything good God has reserved for tomorrow because you're still so focused on what you did yesterday. It's that battleground that Paul refers to in Romans chapter seven, where you so desperately want to break free, but it feels like you're just stuck in that space, a battle in the mind. That's Shatim. And when you're stuck in Shatim, don't be surprised if it's hard to believe that God has any promises reserved for you because it feels like you can't even take a step in their direction while you rehearse all the pain from the past. Anyone know what I'm talking about today? Anyone ever spent some time in Shatim? A big old pile of it, yeah. yeah I think we all know what it feels like to be there. Maybe, Maybe you find yourself there this morning. Maybe as everybody else is making New Year's declarations and New Year's resolutions, you can't seem to step into that mental space because you're too busy rehearsing what happened last year or the year prior or a decade ago. So you can't even consider the thought of moving forward into anything because you're still stuck in the past. If you're there today, allow me to be Joshua in your life for just a second, if I can, and say very simply, it is time to move on. You cannot stay in that space any longer. It's time to pull up your tent pegs, 
Come on, it's time to pack up your goods. There is a promise that God has for you on the other side of this thing, and you cannot afford to camp out in the past any longer. Your exodus is way past due. God is not holding those things against you any longer, and you cannot afford to hold them against yourself. In fact, Jesus took a crown of thorns on his own head so that when you find yourself in a valley of thorns, you do not stay stuck there, but you get the peace of mind that was purchased for you on Calvary. You gotta get up and go. It's time to move this year. You can't stay there in 2023. I don't care how many years you've been stuck there in your mind. The guilt needs to go. The shame needs to be laid down and you need to move forward into the promises God has for you. But here's what I also know. As a guy who's spent some time in a pile of shatim before, I know that is one of those tasks that is far easier said than done. Just get over it, but I can't. Stop thinking about, I just don't know how. I, in fact, I will go on record and say, it seems like the harder you try to leave, the deeper you find yourself in that pit. But I believe that's because when it comes to leaving the pain of the past, you can't just leave something. You also need to be chasing something greater. You need to pursue something greater. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, this one thing I do, forgetting that which lies behind me, I press forward into what God has for my future. You can't just forget. You also got to press. You got to be pursuing something. And that which we have been called to pursue is the second thought I want to consider. It's found in the next couple of verses in the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verse 3, where we read this. Joshua says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. You have to leave something and follow something else. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Number two, if we're gonna get God's promises, we need to learn how to pursue the presence. Pursue the presence. Joshua, when he's giving this command to the people, he's reminding them of what this ark represents. The ark was not just a box with some stuff in it. It was the very resting place of the presence of God. It was where the presence of God dwelt. They did not have a permanent location. They had not purchased a Masonic building yet and made it a church. They set up a tent everywhere they went from this part of the wilderness to the next part of the wilderness. And every time they set up the tabernacle, they would place the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies and the presence of God would rest on that space. So, so Joshua, when he comes to the people, he's reminding them that this is the very presence of God leading us. And he says, if we're going to make our way into the promise, it is predicated on our pursuit of the presence. Oh, come on, that's some Baptist level alliteration right there, people, all right? I'm going to say it again. The promise is predicated on our pursuit of the presence. And he tells them why. He tells them why you need to follow the presence. He says, guys, the reason you need to keep the presence before you is because you have never been this way before. You've never gone where we're going. 
You might have some experience. You might have some gifting. You might have some ability. But those abilities and those gifts and those skills, those resources, they're not going to get you to where God is calling you. In fact, let me say that over you today. I don't care how gifted you are, how wealthy you are, how much experience you got, how many decades you've been following Jesus. Where he's taking you is new, and you do not know how to get there apart from his presence. It is predicated on the pursuit of his presence. It will lead you into new spaces. And so let's do what we do every single week when I teach. Let's, let's answer a question, shall we? The question that forces us to personalize all of this. If it is predicated on that pursuit, let me ask you, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing today? As you stepped into this new year, what are you pursuing? And, and if that question is difficult to answer, let me provide a definition for us. Pursuit, by definition, means to follow or to chase with the intent to apprehend. <laughs> It carries with it this thought of passion and intensity and relentlessness. So, so let me reword the question. What are you passionately chasing after right now with the intent to apprehend? What are you trying to get? Is it the girl? Is it the guy? Is it a promotion? Is it an opportunity? Is it notoriety? Is it money? What are you chasing after right now? Because listen to me very carefully. There is an inevitable destination for that pursuit. Whatever you're chasing will take you somewhere. Chasing that relationship will take you somewhere. Chasing companionship will take you somewhere. Chasing an opportunity or the dollar is gonna take you somewhere. But there is only one pursuit that takes you to the promise and that is the pursuit of the presence of Jesus. That's it. And, and listen, let me, let me offer this disclaimer. I'm not saying you can't have any ambition or chase anything else. I'm not saying like, you know, be single for the rest of your life and, you know, work a dead end job forever. That's not what I'm saying. You can have desires in your heart and a pursuit of companionship and advancement in your career. These things are not ungodly in nature. In fact, they might be a part of God's promise for your future. But their priority needs to be in the right place. They can't be the thing you pursue more than God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else you need is gonna be added to you. So the way you get to those things is not by chasing those things. The way you get to those things is by chasing the presence of Jesus. What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Is it the presence or is it something else? And just to make sure I'm not being ambiguous with this, let, let me explain what I mean by the presence. If we are going to be people that lay hold of every promise, we need to make a commitment today, this year, that we are going to be relentless about pursuing the places where we know God's presence dwells, where we know we're gonna find him. Let me be the broken record and start with this one. We gotta be in the house of God. The house of God on Sunday mornings needs to be a priority for us. And I know I'm preaching to the choir since you're here, so let me look into the camera and talk to all the people watching online because you're somewhere else right now. We need, don't touch them, Jesus. I'm kicking the people that need to come to Jesus. <laughs> we need to be in the house on time. Sing all four of the songs with us. You guys do four songs? I know, I thought you only heard two, but I get it. 
In fact, we added a song this year because I want to spend more time lifting up the name of Jesus and giving him the praise that he is at, he's due. Let me say this. This might be a year where you need to reprioritize the number of weekends that you try to chase rest by going on other trips, being outside the house of God, because rest is not found in chasing rest. Rest is found in chasing the presence of Jesus. Go on vacation, do your thing. But maybe this is a year where you need to say, I'm gonna be in the house, because I know his presence is here. You need to pursue God through the word. Listen, we know he's here. He, this is him, this is what he says. John chapter one, this is the word. This is Jesus in written form. Do you have a Bible reading plan that you're going through, as, as Robin mentioned earlier? Is that something you've committed yourself to? If not, come on, get on the Bible app, download a plan, find some way to add rhythm into your life. I got a group of 10 guys that I'm reading through the Bible with this year. We do it every single year and we've added some new guys along the way. If you, if you need help finding a Bible reading plan, you can literally go to our app right now. And on the front page of our app, there's a list of Bible reading plans that myself and other leaders around the church are reading. You can just pick one of those and sign up, invite some friends, stay accountable, but be in the word together this year. Why? Because his presence is there. That's how we pursue the presence. Pursue him in prayer. Develop a, an unmistakable, un, unshakable, immovable rhythm with prayer. I'm gonna pray every single day at this time. Develop that in your life. May this be a year that is marked by our greatest pursuit of the presence of Jesus in any year of our faith. Come on, are you up for that? Are you up for a greater pursuit of Jesus than you have ever engaged in before? Let's run after him with all we've got. Last one, number three, and I'll invite the worship team to come with this. If we're gonna be people who lay hold of every promise, we need to consecrate ourselves. Consecrate yourself. Joshua chapter three, verse five, Joshua says this, or it says, then Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves today, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Consecrate yourself today for tomorrow. The, the last prerequisite it's mentioned here in this story is this contingency of consecration. And I love the way Joshua words it here. He says, tomorrow, God has great things in store for you. He casts the vision. It captures almost this, this intrinsic anticipation that is built into the beginning of a new year. He's like, guys, there's some good stuff coming your way. There are great things that God has in store for tomorrow. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask, think, or imagine. That is what tomorrow holds. But tomorrow's destination requires today's consecration. Where you're going is going to require consecration. That word consecration in, in the Hebrew, it is the word kadosh, and it means to dedicate or set apart as sacred. In other words, to consecrate is to say, there are certain things, certain practices, certain indulgences that I simply cannot be engaged in because they do not align with where God is taking me. Where I'm heading means I gotta live a certain way. There's things that I have to set myself apart from so that I can step into what God has for my tomorrow. That's consecration. When Joshua's talking to the people here, he's specifically addressing things that he does not want them to engage in. 
He's saying, you can't do that. You can't, you can't engage in that right now because if you do, where God is taking you tomorrow might be in jeopardy. So you need to consecrate yourself today for all that God has for tomorrow. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, this, this last Tuesday, um, our team gave a gift to Robin and I. Uh, after we finished teaching a, a class before Pursuit on Tuesday, uh, Drew Baker, one of our generation's pastors, uh, came up and he handed us a bag. And inside that bag uh, was a Mont Blanc pen. I think that's how they say it in French. Uh, if you don't know what this is, you just ain't bougie enough, okay? This is a bougie pen, obscenely expensive. But the reason they gave us this pen is because they know that there is a promise that we are clinging to of a permanent facility, and this was a prophetic sign. The, the, the pen came along with a little letter that I'll read out. And in the letter, sorry, I have a lot of things in my Bible here. Hey, there's a check there, that's awesome. The, the letter said, uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 24. But I said to you, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. This is a gift of faith and a prophetic declaration over the purchase of our building. You're going to need this pen to sign the contract. Let this be a daily reminder of his promises over San Francisco. This pen was purchased for a purpose. It was purchased to execute an agreement that we believe in faith is coming our way, perhaps even this year. Now, because it has a purpose tomorrow. We have set it aside today. We've chosen not to use it for anything else. Could we? Sure. We could doodle and write notes and play tic-tac-toe. We could do what all of us do when we can't find a knife. We could stab it into the tape of our Amazon package and try to open it with it. We could do a lot of things with this pen. But because of the noble purpose that's stored up for tomorrow, we have consecrated it today. And as it is for the pen, so it is for your life. You have been purchased for a purpose. You were purchased with the blood of Jesus. I don't care how obscenely expensive that pen is, the cost that Jesus paid for your life far exceeds the cost of any earthly thing that we can purchase. He has purchased you for some great things tomorrow. There are good things God has planned for your tomorrow. And because of that which is laid up for tomorrow, you gotta consecrate yourself today. In fact, let me conclude this morning by simply just prophesying with my eyes open that which he has planned for you tomorrow. Jeremiah says, I have good plans, declares the Lord over your life. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask, think or imagine. He still heals every disease. He still provides for every single name. And he has promised to be your deliverer in any situation where you need freedom. That's his promise to you. And he's got great things for us as a community tomorrow. Man, I'm grateful for what God's done in the last four years. We've had a good run. 
Nearly 700 people that have made a documented decision to follow Jesus. 234 after today that have been baptized in water. A group that started around a table in my living room. Now look around you as the church that you see today. But mark my words, God is not done with what he's going to do in this house. There is far more tomorrow than we saw yesterday. That which he does in 2023 will eclipse everything he's done in the last four years. And it will be that way every single year from now on. We are still holding out for a move of God that is historic in nature in this city. There is still an Isaiah 62 day coming where the bride of God will be redeemed, where the reputation of this city will be changed, where we're gonna see the cloth move from people's eyes and many come to know Jesus. Revival is still the promise for San Francisco. We will go from faith to faith and glory to glory. The Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s will be eclipsed by what God will do in these days. It's our inheritance. It's our amen. We declare this shall come to pass in our city. But tomorrow's destination, it requires today's consecration. It's gonna take a people saying, that's what I'm living for. So here's what I'm gonna, I'm gonna conclude with. I'll borrow the words from Joshua. As for me and my house, as for this church, this is where we're going. I'm not staying where we've been no matter how good it's been. This is where we're headed. And there's an invitation being issued at the beginning of this year. Will you get out of shit? <laughs> Will you leave the past behind? Will you pursue the presence like never before? And will you set yourself apart for that which God has tomorrow? Let's pray. If you're standing, you can lift your hands. If you're sitting, you can lift your hands. But let's just commit ourselves to this. Father, right now in Jesus' name, we thank you for what tomorrow holds. We thank you that there are good things stored up for this house and every person in this house. God, right now as we sense even just that supernatural turning of the page that comes with the new year, we make a fresh commitment to follow you, a fresh commitment to pursue your presence, a fresh commitment to believe for and contend for the things that you have called us to step into. God, for every person who's gone weary and stuck in the past, I pray deliverance right now in Jesus' name. May they leave where they were so they can step into what you have. God, we commit ourselves to this pursuit in the name of Jesus. You can put your hands down. Last thought before we can conclude here. If you're here this morning and you say, Tim, the, the, the commitment I need to make, the pursuit that I need to commit to is to simply give Jesus my life, to follow him. Maybe you've been at a distance from God for a long time. Maybe this is your first time in a setting like this and you sense God calling you and you know that you need to get things right with him before you conclude today. I wanna pray a prayer of commitment with you before we leave. If that's you, would you just simply lift your hand and look up at me and say, Tim, I need to give my life to Jesus today. Got you, sweetheart. Yeah, got you, bro, right there. Thank you. Yeah, I got you right there. Awesome. All right. As a church family, let's just pray out loud together with these making this decision. Everyone say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Today, I choose to follow you. Forgive me of my sin and help me to be your disciple from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate with all those starting off this year, making that decision. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.